no holiday today for the public safety minister, uh, Marco Mendicino, one of the key figures in government behind the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act at the height of the blockades in Ottawa, testified at the public inquiry into the use of the act today. Uh, Marco Mendicino told the inquiry that police were overwhelmed by the so-called Freedom Convoy. The minister says he saw the demonstration in Ottawa and at several border crossings as illegal blockades, the scope and tactics of which police had never encountered. The consequences were devastating to people, to the economy, uh, to our international relations. And so at, at all times, I was assessing um, not any one of these events in isolation, but rather the situation in its totality. In its totality is the important point there to keep in mind. Now, the inquiry had previously heard from top police officials in Ottawa that within hours of the convoy's arrival, officers felt they were dealing with an occupation. Uh, Mendicino uh, also talked about the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act and said the government had considered engaging with organizers of the Freedom Convoy, but ultimately decided not to. Uh, He also says they were searching for ways to bring an end to the blockades, which overwhelmed police. A lot of the concerns around the cohesive structure of the blockade and the occupation um, raised legitimate concerns about whether or not, even if um, a negotiated settlement uh, had been reached, whether or not it would have been successful in disengaging and clearing the blockade and the occupation. Marco Mendicino there. This has been a really interesting few days. It will continue to be interesting this week as we hear from uh, the head of, we heard from the head of CSIS. We're also going to hear from many cabinet ministers, including Mendicino, the prime minister's up later in the week. Joining us now with more on this is Michael Kempa. He's an associate professor of criminology at the University of Ottawa. He's been paying very close attention, well, both to the uh, so-called Freedom Convoy back in the winter, as well as the inquiry. Thanks so much for your time. Welcome back. Okay, thank you. We got a bit of a some insight into the cabinet's thinking around this today, and it's this sort of idea of an expanded view of what a threat is to some extent, and that's both mm. the threat and the capacity to respond to it, I guess. That's true. I have to say, I feel that the government is just not doing a great job of explaining its own position. I know that the timelines are very tight at this commission, and they're trying to get as much information out as they can. They're not doing a good job of drawing a line or a distinction between explaining why they did what they did and then talking about what needs to be reformed moving forward. So specifically, when we're talking about why did they mobilize the Emergencies Act and this famous stuff now about what about Section 2 of the CSIS Act and the head of CSIS saying that this did not meet that standard from CSIS's perspective, And the government just hasn't done a good job of explaining this. It's actually quite simple. The Emergencies Act says the government must follow the same issues that are listed in Section 2 of the CSIS Act. So all of the same types of threats, organized political movement, violence, so forth, foreign state sponsorship of things that are intended to undermine Canadian stability and so forth. But the critical difference is the bar is lower for the government than it is for CSIS. It's not that you add any other broader definitions to explain what you've already done. It's that the bar is lower, and there's a good reason for that. And David Vigneault, the head of CSIS, hit the nail on the head when he said, if the bar was exactly the same, that would effectively make CSIS the decider of when you would mobilize, if ever. And that's completely unacceptable in a democracy, and it's not at all the intention of either the CSIS Act 
or the Emergencies Act. So I do wish the government would explain that more clearly and then say, oh, by the way, we also, as a separate issue, need to update our list of threats to security. But that's not why we did this to begin with. We didn't change the law on the fly. Yeah, because one gets the sense that a lot of this feels like um, answering political critics to some extent, justifying the use of it instead of explaining the rationale for it. Because as you point out, uh, the definition within the CSIS Act is quite is quite limited to some extent. And the federal government does have a broader uh, ability to, to broaden that depending on what it sees as the circumstances, right? But it needs to explain that. And you're saying you don't feel that, like they're doing a particularly good job, at least not so far. No, they're not making it clear. Essentially, it reads, or when people listen, it sounds like the government moved the goalposts, and it's sort of trying to justify that. Now, they, in fact, didn't move the goalposts. What they did was a strict reading of the CSIS Act and the Emergencies Act, as David Vigneault sort of made that point in a roundabout way. He wasn't as clear as he could have been either. Um, But when they talk about now the need for reform to the Act, That's fine, but then make it clear we're talking about this is where we go from here. This is not why we did what we did. We didn't move the goalposts eight months ago when we invoked the Emergencies Act. Yeah, I I mean, you you again have reiterated in an op-ed that you felt that it was uh, legal but a regrettable necessity. And I I guess you're still there too, but but listening to the government try to defend itself has uh, has been interesting because clearly Mendicino would be one of those best place to explain the rationale as you describe it. Yes, but he's also got a lot of other things to try to explain and justify. So, I mean, it's easy for me. My whole thing is about accountability legislation around who does what in terms of CSIS, RCMP, the federal government. I mean, this is exactly my bailiwick, but he had a lot of other things to explain in his short period of time up there. Um, He talked a lot about conflict between the federal government and the provincial solicitor general in Ontario. This is very important. It's very clear that the province of Ontario simply did not do enough um, over the course of this particular emergency. Now, we've had some evidence that they felt that it was basically a federal problem because we were talking about an Ottawa issue and Ottawa mandates. But Even if you feel that politically it's an Ottawa federal problem, jurisdictionally, like on paper, that's just not the way that the responsibility for this thing fell down. The the provincial government should have done much more, and I'm quite sure that will be a major conclusion of the Rouleau Commission. We got a bit of an insight today, too, into some of the communication between uh, Jason Kenney's office, the, uh, the, the former premier of Alberta at this point, uh, with Omar Al-Gabra, the transportation minister. There seemed to be a lot of confusion, not necessarily confusion, but there seemed to be a lot of back and forth between the provinces and Ottawa trying to figure out who exactly was going to move. And it led to a kind of a the kind of paralysis that I think we all witnessed over many weeks and the consternation that we saw of, as to why no one was moving to clear this up. We were simply, I mean, it sounds trite, but we were out of practice. I mean, this emergency legislation comes back to 1988. We've never used it. We've had, for the most part, peaceable protests in this country. And where there's been problems, the protests have been smaller. This was the first huge and troublesome protest. We were not quick enough to separate honorable protesters because they have an absolute right. You can come and yell and scream about COVID-19 mandates 
until you're blue in the face, if that's your interest. That's your, cons- your charter right in this, mm-hmm. in this country. But mixed in with that crowd, and as time passed, larger and larger groups of troublesome factions were on the ground. We were not experienced enough, or we had forgotten in a sense, how to manage a crowd to separate the honorable protesters from those who had bad intentions. And, you know, Justice Rulo has made great hints as to where he's going with this, because he keeps saying, if you notice he asks questions, he says, well, okay, the government created red zones where protest was not allowed to sort of break it up. Mm-hmm. Did they give any alternatives for where people could have gone to carry on with their peaceful protests somewhere else. In other words, if you create red zones, do do you then create any green zones where people can go to carry on with the legal protest? And the answer time and again has been no. So this was also an error. You know, the confines of the CSIS Act, the same words based on, on legal interpretation, jurisprudence, federal court rulings, and so on, there was a very clear understanding of what those words meant in the confines of the CSIS Act. And what I, uh, I was reassured by is that there was, you know, in the context of the Emergencies Act, there was to be a separate interpretation based on the confines of that, that act. Now, that's not the easiest uh, uh, explanation to follow, but that's CSIS Director David Vigneault uh, yesterday testifying, and you were mentioning this testimony earlier. Uh, Michael Kempa's with us. He's an Associate Professor of Criminology at the University of Ottawa. Uh, that was pretty key testimony, because I guess what it boiled down to is the CSIS Director said, okay, uh, we recommend that you can go ahead with this, despite the fact that the convoy protests don't really meet our agency's strict definition of a threat to Canadian security. Well, that's exactly right. And the bar is set much higher for CSIS for a very good reason. Back in the 1970s and 19, early 1980s, the RCMP used to be in charge of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And they got involved in all kinds of trouble for essentially doing domestic political espionage on our own citizens. They were checking into anybody they felt like, whether it was people on the left of the political spectrum, but I don't even mean the radical left. I mean, you know, basic, easygoing socialists. Yeah, they were looking union into folks. people. They, yeah. All of that. Yeah. They were looking into uh, people who were, who were homosexual, anything. And there was the McDonald Commission that said this is completely unacceptable. We are taking the intelligence function away from the RCMP, investing it in a new agency called CSIS, and it actually would be quite difficult for CSIS to start looking into groups of people, and they need to meet these very specific high-bar criteria before we start running around and spying on our own citizens. In other words, people have to be a legitimate threat, not just a nuisance for the state to keep tabs on them. Now, the federal government, in invoking the Emergencies Act, in the end, that is a very politically weighted decision. They're elected. And they are responsible for that decision. Therefore, the bar can be a little bit lower because if they make a bad decision, they're going to own it and have to answer to the electorate. If you made the bar exactly the same, in effect, you would be putting CSIS essentially in charge of whenever the EA could be invocated. Because if they say the bar is not met, then the government wouldn't be able to go in a different direction. The bar has to be a little bit different, even if you focus on the letter of the same issues that's in Section 2 of the CSIS Act. What would you like to hear from the Prime Minister? He is going to wrap this up um, near the end of the week. 
Uh, there's still a lot of questions to be answered about some of the measures that were taken. I know there's a lot of anger for those who opposed the invocation. It feels like we're not going to get a definitive sort of black and white answer from Justice Rouleau when this is all said and done. Uh, this will be a pretty tough moment for the Prime Minister. He has some explaining to do. There is explaining to do. He's got to basically tell us why did they use the specific powers that they did in the giant folder that is basically the Emergencies Act. So, okay, we understand compelling tow trucks. That's not very controversial. We have some sense that, okay, there was a need to break up protests, so there were a few red zones. I'd like to know why there were no green zones created so that people who had just a point to make who weren't here to spread all kinds of radical far-right ideology or anti-immigration messages um, simply wouldn't have joined them in those protests. But then when we start getting into the freezing of the bank accounts, what evidence did we have that that was a good idea? Now, I know the intention was if you threaten to freeze the bank accounts, hopefully a bunch of people will leave the protest. So when you thin out the crowd, there's less for the police to deal with. Is there evidence from around the world that it actually works that way? Because I haven't seen it. Um, So I'm not sure that that was the best thing to add to the folder. It seems pretty impactful on people's lives. But then the government has said, well, you were warned. So if you had left, you would not have had your accounts frozen. So if people accept that logic, then that's okay, because a big part of this is also what the public will tolerate when they hear the information. It's not just what the judge says. It's what Canadians say at the end of this. Michael Kempa, as always, thank you so much for your insight on this tonight. Thank you kindly.